You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Just One Way, recorded on November the 6th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Our faith is spread by language and persuasion. That's, that's how we get people to become Christians and join us, language and persuasion. But the task, task is, is perhaps more challenging um, than it might first appear. So I was trying to think of, so I have a very imperfect, I have a very imperfect illustration of this, okay? And I know it's imperfect, but I think it's, it's close enough that it's worth our time. I was thinking, what if there was a brand new expansion team in the National Football League, all right? And that expansion team was somewhere like Albuquerque, someplace no one would ever put a team. And then, and then God told you, sent an angel to tell you, that's my team. And all the other teams are not my team. And anyone who likes that team is my friend. Anyone who likes any of the other team is my enemy. So now I want you to go and tell all the other people to stop cheering for their team. So then you can imagine you driving down to Pittsburgh on a Sunday to some very popular bar where everyone's watching the game, dressed in their black and gold, sucking their Iron City light because they like bad beer. (laughs) Just saying how all yins need to really go behind the stillers today and and you're going to go in and you're going to get the entire bar's attention and you're going to let them know that God said no more stealers for you. Instead, the Albuquerque Angels. And then if you live, <laughs> next stop Cleveland, <laughs> next stop Cincinnati, next stop St. Louis, and you've got to hit every single one of those towns. And, if, and you might say, well, that's silly. Well, of course it's silly. I made it up. But you can see the impossibility of it, can't you? You can see how your mission, you might as well just forget about it, right? Well, the mission of bringing Christ to the world is actually more impossible than that. On our, on our text today, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 7, Paul describes his impossible mission by declaring his message. Look at verse 5. He says, for there is one God. There is one God. And there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here's his calling, verse 7. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. He was appointed both to preach the message and to be the official representative of Jesus Christ to authorize and declare the message. As an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. I was appointed, I'm going back to the beginning of that sentence. I was appointed, now to the end, a teacher. So he's a preacher, apostle, and a teacher of who? Of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Gentiles is a word we generally don't use except in the Bible. Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jew. Christianity is a Jewish religion. It really is Judaism done right, if you do it right. Judaism with the Messiah. 
Jesus is a Jew. All the first apostles were Jews. They, he came in fulfillment of Jewish scripture. I know the irony is throughout history, it is mainly the Jews who reject their own savior, but that won't always be the case. But it, to, to the Jew, the whole world is a world of Gentiles, often called nations or even peoples, right? To the Jew, we're us, this little nation are the only ones with the right God. That's how they go through history. We're the only ones with the correct God. And, and, and Paul is saying, I want to do something that Jews don't normally do. I'm going to break out of Judaism and of Israel, and I'm going to go to all the Gentiles. And I'm going to tell them that their gods are all wrong. They now need to begin worshiping my God. And he's saying, that is my calling. He's not just saying it's a good idea I had one day. This is what I'm called to do. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, of the nations, of what the Jew would call the pagans. At the time of, of, of Paul, the Romans ran the world. Right? There was the great empire of Rome running most of the civilized world, and one could think that if they... Were, were disciplined and thought it through, they could get to every bit of the world and run it because they were powerful. And they had their gods, and they had a lot of gods with names like Jupiter, Juno, Saturn, Apollo, Cirrus, Diana, Mars, Artemis, and on and on and on. Now, they stole them all from the Greeks. And I remember in 6th, 7th, 8th, they kept trying to get us to learn mythology, and a few of the students liked mythology. Some of you like mythology, um, and uh, I am mostly bored by it, except for the part where they cut off the head of the lady with a lot of snakes on her head. Who doesn't like that? But you got, you got Roman gods, which are all really Greek gods with new names, because the Romans loved the Greeks for some, they, they, they killed them and took over their stuff, but they loved the Greeks. So every Roman god, I think, someone can correct me later, I think every Roman god has a Greek god behind it, like... like uh, Zeus and Poseidon and Hermes and all these other Greek dudes. And so the world where Paul went is filled with Roman and Greek gods, but not just Roman and Greek gods. Because since the the Romans conquered everybody, everywhere they went, they already had a god. They didn't need a Roman god. If they were Greeks, they already had their Greek gods, but there were a lot of non-Greeks who were conquered too. A lot of little nations and big nations and everywhere in between. They all had their own gods. We don't need your gods. So the Romans were pretty, pretty kind about this. They went for pluralism. They said, well, you can keep your gods. Keep your gods. You have all the gods you want. But let's just add one more to the cult of Rome, as, it was, as historians call it. You can also worship the emperor. If you worship the emperor, that ties us all together. Just worship Caesar. Okay, what the heck? If you're going to kill me otherwise, then why wouldn't they? Caesar obviously was superior to their gods because he conquered them. If your God was so great, you wouldn't be conquered. So that that was the world that Paul says, I was sent to these people. Now, what about Christianity? What place did the church and Christianity have in the Roman world? Well, at Paul's time, it wasn't a thing yet. There was no such thing. He wasn't going to go to any nation and find a church. He wasn't going to go to any nation and find Christ followers. He wasn't going to go to any city with them, not initially, Nothing but pagans. And Paul says, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And at this point, we should hear, dun, 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 
dun 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 Because this, from a human perspective, has got to be an impossible mission. Because the way you normally spread your religion at that time, believe it or not, was to take swords and spears and big angry men and go to the next village and put the swords and spears to the necks of the people and say, would you like to die or worship our God? And, and they'd say, well, you can have all my stuff. Or they might fight and you kill them. And whoever wins, your God wins. That, that, that's really, 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 in human history, how religion was spread. And Paul can't even do that. His mission impossible. He's a Jew going among the nations, and his job... You know, it's, you can almost see him, he, he gets the letter or he gets the tape that's going to self-destruct, you know, your mission, Paul, if you decide to accept it. He actually doesn't get a decision, he was appointed. You know, sending you into a world of many different religions, of many different gods. Gods they've served for centuries, that their parents serve, that they have statues of, that they have all kinds of ways. And your job is to go to these nations, tell them who the true God is, and tell them knock off all their own religion because it's false. When you think of it that way, doesn't that seem like an impossible task for a man? But that's his task. Now, Christianity, the, the, the idea, the, the faith that he's going to introduce is not like any of the other faiths in two very important ways. One, it's not bound by tribe or nation. In the great history of mankind, all religions are bound to the people and, and to the tribe. You come... Uh, to North America in the 1500s, and you'll find a bunch of tribes of people, Native Americans. When I was a kid, they were Indians, but they changed. <laughs> now they're Native Americans. But if you think that Native Americans was one great monolith of, of, you know, like a Disney kind of movie where they're all worshiping happily some spirit God or whatever, you're wrong. Each tribe had their own conception of God, their own gods, their own way of doing God. And that's true all over the planet from the beginning of time. God's went with the tribes. God went with the people. He was connected to the nation. It was even true of the Jews. Right? The Jews were God's tribe. We're, we're, they were saying, you guys have your little gods of the spirits and gods of the sun and gods of the rocks and gods of the water. The Jews said, well, our God's a God who made everything. So he's bigger than your gods. Your gods are fake gods. Our gods are real God. So they, but they were just another tribe of people. Circumcised people. Strange eating food people. Unique priesthood people. But Christianity was not bound to any tribe. It wasn't ever bound to any nation. Right from the beginning. And secondly, it was mobile. It was portable. You could take it with you. You know, hey, we're going to leave town. Don't forget to take your Christianity. Okay. <laughs> you didn't, and, and, and that may seem to the modern thinking, well, of course, everyone's religion is so personal, it goes with them. No, 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 no. That's not how religion has worked throughout history. Right? Because religion has accoutre, accoutre, accoutrement, uh, accessories. I can't say that other word. <laughs> it has things that attach to it. Religions have ways of doing it. You don't just set up a religion. You have to have a priesthood, and they have to have certain clothings. And, and often there's trinkets. There's little statues or big statues. There's buildings. There's incense. There can be sacrifice of certain animals. There can be pilgrimages to certain places. 
Even among Judaism, you had to have a temple. You had to have animals. You had to have priests. Well, not so with this seemingly new faith. Jesus came into the world and said, you know, look at it, look at it this way. Jesus' tribe was Jewish, right? That's his people, his nation. The Jewish way of doing evangelism was we are the only nation with God. If you want our God, have yourself circumcised, renounce your pagan practices, and come join us here. It was, we're, we're all here. This is our land. You come, do what we do. But when the Jewish Messiah came, he, about to leave the earth, he, he turned the whole thing upside down. He said, go! Go into all the nations and make disciples. He completely turned it upside down. He changed the whole game. Well, don't we need a temple? No, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't we need to sacrifice animals? Of course not. Jesus is the only real sacrifice. Those were just things you did till he got there. Don't we need some sort of priesthood? You're all priests. Don't we need incense or, or statues or, or prayer beads? <laughs> Absolutely not. All you need is a human with God in him to bring the message to build the church. Do you see the difference? Do you see how portable it is? Do you see how unique Christianity was and continues to be in all the religions of the world? And, and so that kind of helped. That's how Paul was going to do this. He was, <laughs> we need to spread this to the whole world. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a woman who takes um, a lump of dough. Jesus is such a sexist making a woman do that. Because, of course, everyone knows making bread is oppression. I don't know how that works. Um, I kind of like bread. But if a woman puts yeast into the dough and she works it in until it's through the whole lump, she says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. What does that mean? It means that, that little, little bit of yeast doesn't need much. Just get it in the lump and it'll grow. And that's how the church grows. You bring this gospel with you and wherever it goes, it just gets into the lump. Paul's declaration to the world is uh, it's our first fill in the blank. And it's all Bible, ready? For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. This was the declaration. He says, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I'm not supposed to stay there in Israel and just do the Jewish stuff with the Jewish people. I'm not lying. God sent me to teach all the nations this simple message. Now, when people heard this declaration, when he went to other nations, some of them loved it. But most of them hated it. But it was this message that turned the world upside down. Changed everything. Everything. It changed everything to this day. That message has made the world you live in a better place. Even people who hate Christ have no idea how they breathe in the ethic that came from this message. Do you know hospitals weren't a thing until Christians came along? Do you know the idea of children's uh, not being made into slaves wasn't an idea till Jesus came along? Do you know the idea that women were equal to men wasn't even an idea till Jesus came along? It just wasn't a thing. It, this message turned the world upside down. 
And he continues to turn the world upside down. And it's a very simple message. So let's examine it. First, there's only one God. Now, the Bible reveals that there's only one God. The Bible is a very monotheistic book. I don't even know if the word very needs to be put in there. It's simply, a, let's take the word simply out. The Bible is a monotheistic book. If you read it from beginning to end, there's only one God. The very first book of the Bible will tell you there's one God. Go to the last book of the Bible and it will tell you there's one God and there's only one God. However, that one God has certain properties, certain things that only he can do. Like create everything. Like be perfectly holy. Like judge the living and the dead. Right? There's only to know everything, to be everywhere at once. These omnis, the omniscient, the omnipresent, that's what that means. Everywhere at once, knows everything, to be transcendent, to be eternal, backwards and forwards forever, to be all powerful. There's only one God who has all those qualities, but if you read the Bible, you'll see that there's three persons who share those qualities God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, what do you do with that? Well, the Bible's not contradicting itself. It says there's one God, but three persons who are that God. That mystery, which is hard for us to understand, we call the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. All other gods, all other gods are not gods at all. Where did every other God come from? It was the invention of a human being. There are no other gods. To all nations, to all Gentiles, to all peoples and all their religions, coming to Jesus means leaving the religion you grew up with. Leaving it. Many Asians worship their ancestors. Um, And if you don't know Christ, before you judge that, it makes a certain amount of sense. It gives you a sense of continuity. And they have altars, many of them, in their homes to grandma, grandpa, going back many generations. They may even put incense there or even food there. They talk to their ancestors. But you know what? Their ancestors aren't gods. And that's a foolish thing to do. So if you, when Paul would come into your town and say, Jesus is the only God, you had to stop doing that. Well, you can see just what an impossible task that is. Some young man or some young woman says, huh, I'm going to go tell my parents, I believe in this God that this Jewish dude from Israel brought. What? You betray your parents and all the generations before us? If it's not too much trouble. (laughs) To the Roman cult, this religion that Paul brought said, you can pay taxes to the Caesar. In fact, you're going to be a better citizen than you were because your God is going to live inside you and, and, and the desire to do right instead of steal, to be obedient instead of disobedient, to be respectful instead of disrespectful is going to come from his spirit. You're going to be a better citizen. Caesar's going to like everything about you better except this, you can't worship him anymore. Well, you can see how that went over real well. <laughs> The, the, the Romans had only given one people an exclusion from, from worshiping the emperor, and that was the Jews. And they later would regret it and come in and crush them in 70 AD and tear down their temple because they were just a bunch of rebels. Should have got them to worship the Caesar. Well, now you got this thing spreading through, the, through the, all the nations. You don't have to worship him. Worship God alone. Ephesus was a place where Timothy was pastoring, was working, 
had a very uh, uh, interesting example of how the Christians had to learn the lesson that they had to leave all their gods behind. And it came in an odd way. It came like this. There was this Jewish student named Skiva, and he had seven sons. And I only say that because it's really cool to say seven sons of Skiva. Isn't that a cool thing to say? Right? It sounds like a motorcycle gang or something. Sons of Skiva, you know, there's Jack's Teller out there, you know. So you got these seven sons of Skiva going around doing a religious thing. They had a religious game going, you know, it was a good living. And, and then, then here comes Paul into town in Ephesus, and, and he's casting out demons and doing miracles, and folks are getting saved, and they're like, huh, that's a pretty good gig. We should add that to our repertoire. So they run into a demon-possessed dude, which has got to be a pretty scary moment, and they say to him, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, demon, get out. And this is the wild part. The demon, who's controlling, apparently, the dude he's in, uses that guy's voice and says, excuse me. Well, I don't think he says that. Demons aren't necessarily polite. He says, Jesus I know. Very interesting that the demons know Jesus. Satanists always go against Jesus. You never see an upside-down Buddha, right? Just think about that for a minute. You'll, you'll get there. They know who the truth is, right? So, so he's like, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, I'm familiar with, but who are you? And then the man was enraged with the power of demonic force, I guess, and, and, and frenzy, and he beat up all these seven brothers, <laughs> And, and stripped him naked, and they ran away afraid. Because apparently if a demon's going to beat you up, he's taking your clothes too. So the Christians all saw this. The Christians who just a year before were pagans and all, had all their evil, what they now know are evil religion. Their response was fear because they were holding on to things in their life that were not of God. And that's where in Acts 19 it says this. Also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They were believers. When the, they, they were holding on to stuff. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them. Those Christians always burning books. There you go. But they're burning their own books. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. How much is that in their time? A lot. They, they invested a lot of money in their other religion because it costs money to buy the stuff to do the religion. They didn't go on eBay and sell it to recoup some of that money. Well, I'm not into these magic arts, but someone else could be. No, because it was wicked. They set it on fire. When you will part with your wealth because of God, it shows that you, you get it. You understand now, it's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus and nothing else. And they got it, that this message that this foreigner brought to them was the God of the Jews who said right at the beginning of all things, in the Bible at least, or very close to the beginning, thou shalt have no other gods. And they realized that means everything that was normal to me has got to go. In other words... The message of Paul the world is the Jewish God is the God. The Jewish God, that little obscure people who live in the Middle East. There's only like 13 million Jews on the earth today. They're a drop in the bucket. They never were the majority of the earth. They've always been a little nation. Yet somehow, they're very, they're very blessed by God. I mean, you notice that. Great doctors. 
great arts, great in, how did 13 million people, that's a whole other question. Can't help but wonder, though, if God just continues to bless them because of who they are, not because of what they believe, because they often don't believe in him. Paul's message is, their God is the God. Don't forget the second half then. All other gods need to be thrown in the trash, or in this case, the fire. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So there's one God he starts out with, but let's move to the next idea in this simple message. There's one mediator. There's one God. Okay, good. But there's many roads to God. No, no, that's not the way it works, Paul says. But I'll still worship my gods and get to the God. No, one mediator between God and man. You know, there's many doors in the world, aren't there? How many of them get into the driver's seat of your car? One. Now, I guess you could say, well, you could be a jerk about this illustration. Say, well, I can crawl in through the hatchback. Okay, 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 there's the hatchback. But let's just assume there's only one that leads to your driver's door. Wouldn't it be stupid if someone walked up to you and say, there are many doors that you could take so that you can get in your car. You'd say, that's really dumb. Because if I get into other doors, someone's going to arrest me because it's not my car. But we do that with religion. Oh, there's many doors. Why? Paul says there isn't. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. Who? The man, Christ Jesus. There's only one means. We must be very clear, by the way, in who this man, Christ Jesus, is. In our understanding, we must see that Jesus is man. He's a man, but we must see that he is God. He is both. These are summed up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7. Have this mind in yourselves, Christians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Don't, don't pass that little phrase, just let it be what it is. He was in the form of God. When? Forever in eternity past. If you are ever in the form of God, in other words, if you're ever God, when do you stop being God? Well, never. Because if you stop being God, you weren't God in the first place. One of the qualities of God, one of the qualities of God's godness is permanence. If, he's, if you can stop God from being God, you're God. So he's always been God. He's still God. But even though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is about status. He wasn't proud. When we're asked to lower ourselves, often it bugs us, right? We all, we all know as Christians we're supposed to be humble and not proud, not self-exalting. We're all supposed to be servants of Christ. But we also know that horrible feeling in the flesh when someone treats us like a servant, you know just how much of a servant you are when someone actually treats you like one. Then you're like, okay, maybe I'm not a servant. Maybe you can just... Right? Well, Jesus, this is about status. He's, a, he's in the form of God, but he didn't think, I need to always maintain my honor and dignity. I'm going to become a little teeny tiny creature. And I'm not only just going to be a little teeny tiny creature, I'm going to be like one of the people I made in my image, which means weak, frail, needing to sleep, subject to sickness and death, 
coming out of the body of a woman and growing. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He didn't stop being God, but he added on something, the form of a servant or a slave. Well, what's the slave? For him, humanity, being born in the likeness of man. Humanity is slavery. He's God. God took on a body and he joined us. That's the clear teaching of the apostles. Look at in the first uh, chapter of John, in John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. He's using the word word to describe Jesus here. He's saying in the beginning was Jesus. He says, and the word was with God. Oh, that's pretty wild. So there's God, then there's this Jesus, the word. Then it says, and the word was God. Okay, wow, that's freaky. Had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses at my door. They were so nice until I said they were a cult. I think that was like the magic word. Okay, we have to go now. I was trying to love them. I really was. I said in my nicest voice. Because they don't believe Jesus is God. That's why you can't get saved going through their doctrine. Because you have to believe Jesus is God. And the word was God. Well, how do you know the word there is being referred to as Jesus, preacher? Well, I look at verse 14. Here's the word again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word was God. That's pretty clear. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became what? He came and joined us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. (coughs) One of the reasons... Jesus became flesh, revealed in the scripture, is so we could understand God. So we could have a relationship with God. So we could know God in the way you know a person. Right? No man can know God. No man has seen God. But the only begotten God became one of us. And you can know him. And he can tell you what God is like. He is, according to the scripture, the revelation of God. He shows him. This may be, okay, what are you talking about? Okay, another stupid illustration from Mike. Stupid illustration two. We had one to start. This one, it may help you though. My stupid illustrations help me or I wouldn't share them. Okay, there's a boy named, let's say Billy. And Billy has an ant farm. And he loves his ants. And he wants his ants to know him. The great difficulty there is being a different species. He, ants don't know him. They don't know him. He can talk to them, they ignore him. And some of the ants down there are saying, Some people say there's a Billy. I don't believe in a Billy. Do you believe in a Billy? You mean someone who created this ant farm and put us in it? I don't think so. So in order to reveal himself to them, Billy becomes an ant. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, this is how ants talk. And so he starts talking to the other ants. And they say, we heard there's no Billy. And he's like, well, let me tell you, I am Billy, and I'll tell you exactly what it's like to be me. And when another ant says, I'll tell you about God, I'll tell you about the Billy. And they say, how do you know? You've never been out of the ant farm. That guy knows. Okay, that's stupid, I know. But it's the best I can do to bring you an illustration of something that only happened once. How do you, Jesus came to be the revelation of God. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who lives in his bosom, he has revealed him to us. So he's man and God. By contrast, we have Islam. Islam, which... Keep this in your mind, just so you know. Keep dates in your mind. 600 years after Jesus came Islam, almost 600. 600 years after, has nothing to do with Ishmael. 
who came 2,000 years before Jesus. Right? Maybe some of his relatives, but it has nothing to do with him. He's not, he's not a Muslim. <laughs> People say, Ishmael was the Muslim and Isaac was the Jew. No. Ishmael seemed to believe in Abraham's God. So let's say he believed in the Jewish God. He was never a Muslim. 600 years after Christ comes Muhammad. And one of the foundational teachings of Islam from the beginning is this. God has no son. They say it all the time. It's, in, it's written on the Dome of the Rock in Israel. It's a big deal to them that God has no son. It's a great insult to God to say he has a son. They say we honor Jesus, but don't call him son. Christians change the Bible and put that in there. Which shows you that Islam is itself a satanic religion. By satanic, I don't mean like Ozzy Osbourne and upside down crosses and biting off the heads of bats and cutting off fingers and killing your cat on a pentagram and all that weird stuff that probably doesn't ever really happen. Well, Ozzy Osbourne happened, but I don't even, I think he's just a capitalist. <laughs> but <laughs> it's satanic in that it's a religion designed, designed in its origin to declare to the world that God has no son. And that's where its great fall is. But they're wrong. First John says very clearly, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. That means these words could get me killed in a certain context, but let's follow the logic anyway. Muhammad is a liar. This is the Antichrist. John's even worse. He calls him an Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. If you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. Oh, there's many doors into heaven. No, there's one. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So it's a good door. You walk through it, it works. <laughs> oh, I believe in Jesus. I just know if he saved me. He saved you. You're just insecure. The door works. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says he's the only begotten Son of God. And, and don't, let, don't let that freak you out, okay? He's the only begotten. He's not talking about he didn't exist once and then he was generated. Because God, if he ever didn't exist, he's not God. Right? So why the words only begotten? The Bible is trying to make a point about his nature, his essence. My daughter's pregnant for the second time. I'm very proud of her. She's finally producing the gift that, that I demand. <laughs> she's done it once, she's doing it again. We were so relieved when the first one came out, Lucy. That's her name. And she's wonderful just as all the babies in your life are wonderful. Right? I think mine is the greatest and you think yours is the greatest. I think it's all a big tie. But God makes, wants us to love our own. Lucy's wonderful. I can't tell you how relieved when, that, when she came out a human instead of a possum. I was like, man. <laughs> if she has a possum, I have to love it anyway. I mean, it's ours. Maybe if it come out a kitten. And you say, well, that's silly. That's three stupid examples from you today, Mike. You're on a roll. I know. Of course it's silly. Why? Because humans only beget humans. And possums beget possums. And cats beget kittens. And God begets... He's the only begotten Son of God. That's all that's being said there. And there is no one else in the universe who can say that. Even when we're adopted into the family of God through Christ, which we are as sons and daughters, we're not that only begotten status. You don't become a God, so the Mormons are also a cult and also wrong. So, we've completely offended the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Muslims today. (laughs) 
but I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell the truth. But look at this is what Paul's situation was. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, Jesus said. He said, I'm an apostle to these people. This is my message. You think it's offensive here. How offensive do you think it was there? But then this one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, a third thing about this message we need to see is he gave himself as a ransom. A ransom. If, if, if someone is kidnapped that you love and someone says, we need $100,000, that's your ransom. Well, what if they don't say, we don't, we, we don't want $100,000, we want your life. Well, if you truly love them, as hard as it's going to be, okay. If that's the price, that's the price. The wages of sin is death. All mankind has fallen from Adam. God's plan was not to destroy us, but to let us live while he patiently overlooked our sin because he was sending his son to pay the price, to buy us, if you will, with his blood, with his life, to die in our place, to die as a substitute for us, to satisfy God's very own righteous standards, God's own anger at you. He bought you. And that's the only way to come to God. You can't come to God with your sin. I am confident of this. God won't take me as I am. I know there's a song that says he will, just as I am, without one plea, but I'm using the word differently. I'm sure the song's true too. But he won't take me as I am. Because if he took me into heaven, he would ruin heaven. If one sin ruined earth, what would I do? Because I've got thousands of sins. In his perfect holiness, he's not going to stain it with all the wicked thoughts and rebellion and evil things I thought, said, and done. And he's not going to do it to you either. In order for me to go to heaven, for you to go to heaven, the problem of my sin and your sin has to be taken care of. The great news is God took care of it himself. When Abraham was taking his son up on the mountain, he said, I have the fire, Father. We have the knife. We have the sticks. Where is the sacrifice? Answer, God will provide the sacrifice. That's the gospel. God has provided Jesus. He is the ransom. This is the message. This message is a a finger in the eye to all those pagans that Paul went to see. They had systems. They had rituals. They had priesthoods. You take a lot of power from the priest. If you say, you won't need any of that stuff anymore, God provided the sacrifice. You know, it really ruins the whole festival time. Buddha, Gautama Buddha never solved the problem of sin by saying it was an illusion. He just tried to get you to stop thinking about it. (laughs) Muhammad never solved the problem of sin. Confucius didn't, but you know who else? Modern priests didn't either. Carl Sagan, Richard Dawkins didn't. Aristotle and Socrates and their wisdom didn't. Sigmund Freud didn't. Steve Jobs never did anything to solve the problem of sin. The gods of the Native Americans, oh, how pure they must have been. Boy, we're so bad at history. They would kill each other, you know. They weren't all that pure. They weren't worse than anybody. They sure weren't better. The gods of the Hindus, your local psychic, even essential oils won't take away sin. (laughs) Just throw that in there. (laughs) The message Paul brought to the pagans 
was that every path to enlightenment needs to be thrown in the trash. Every single one. The Romans didn't like this exclusive worship of Jesus. In fact, the first Christians in the first couple centuries were considered atheists, meaning there is no God. You say, well, they had a God. Well, yeah, but they rejected all the others, so they must not believe in God. They were rejected. The same is true today. The rule of the day all over the world is plurality, and it's all over the world. You'd say, those Muslims aren't into plurality. Some aren't. But I sat and talked in two different homes of Muslims in India this summer. And after describing what we believed, hearing what they believed, I had a man and they didn't even know each other. They each said the same thing. There are different paths to God. That idea has infected the world. I talked to a Hindu on the streets in India. And I told him that Jesus is the way. And he told me, he certainly is, but there are many ways. And I said, no man has seen God at any time except Jesus. And no, there isn't any other way. And he smiled and thought, look at this idiot. (laughs) In America, though, they're even more offended by it. Over there, you can disagree. In America, people get very... Because it's as odd as it seems... Satan has it so worked out that if you say what Paul said, that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, even the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for many, if you say that, they say you are hating people because you're intolerant of their views. Because the American way is truth is what I prefer, not truth is what it is. Well, I don't like that truth. Well, it's the truth. I mean, it's like people say, I want to touch fire with my hand and have it not burn me. It's not fair that fire burns me. You you can't have truth be whatever you want it to be. Oprah Winfrey, my favorite modern priestess. I I love her as my favorite priestess because first she's likable. If you don't like Oprah, you're just mean. I mean, she's, she's sweet. She'll give you a car if you come to her TV show. <laughs> she's, she's a great dieter. I love that. She, me and her are together. <laughs> fat and skinny, fat and skinny. What size are we this year? <laughs> I, I respect everything she's done. In the, I really do. I genuinely respect her. However, she does not know Christ, and she lives in darkness and presumes to teach people spiritually. And I only bring her up, not because I want you to hate her, because I want you to know she is typical of every man, or in this modern age, every woman. She says, there's millions of ways to God. I quote, our planet is home to countless religions. Nearly every one of those faiths asks us to love, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor. She shows a great ignorance of the face of the people in the world. There are people who live in Irinjaya and where we're sending our pastors now who are living in constant fear of the spirits in the water and the trees and they're in constant fear. You can go, you can go and, and look at the Hare, Hare, Hare Krishnas in India. They, people living in fear. When you see a guy laying down begging before a statue of a monkey, all you can feel is the fear. That he has this fear that the afterlife is not going to be good to him unless he can make this monkey happy. It doesn't seem to love your family. But even if she's right, her mistake is that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seems right to the people of this world that there are many ways to God, but they are wrong. 
So to declare as gently and open-mindedly, liberally as possible, I say all religions of the world are false and lead people to hell. Every single one of them. Jesus is the only way. A side note as a caution, when Christians begin to forget that their faith is based on this, they introduce elements into their churches that are like the pagans. Whoever thought you had to pray through beads to get to heaven? You had to have statues. You had to have buildings. You had to have uh, certain dress or hymn books. You had to do anything. Change your diet. Even I've seen Christians on TV saying, to truly be holy, you have to eat like the Hebrews. No, to truly not enjoy bacon. You have to eat like the Hebrews and you are free. You are free. God created bacon to show you his grace. And I mean that. Hey, I mean it. Did Satan didn't make bacon? Jesus is the only way. That's our unchanging message, and it never changes. Peter preached this right at the start, right when the church was born. He said to the Jews who were listening to him, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. He's become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven among which men must be saved. No other name that has never changed. Now, there are a lot of people, so-called Christian clergy, so-called pastors and seminarians, I say so-called because I don't think you're a Christian if you teach this, who will, who will have collars on and stand in front of dead congregations, talk about the walking dead. You have people spiritually dead leading other dead people in a church, and they will say, well, that's our backwood barefoot brothers from western Pennsylvania. They're not, they don't have schools there. They just believe everything the Bible says literally. They don't understand the higher criticism. There are many ways to God. This is our particular path. I'm not kidding. That's rampant among many churches. And you know what? That's Satan. That's just Satan. That's exactly what he teaches. We must never be tempted because the world spirit says, oh, it's more enlightened, we're more evolved. And we understand now that religion evolved and there's many ways to God. No Christian should ever be threatened by that. It was the same garbage the Romans put on Paul and it was not true then and it's not true now. Only he paid for the sins on his body. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Muhammad did not die for anybody and he couldn't anyway because he was a sinner. Krishna died for no one. Mary died for no one. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. Our world considers it rude to say that it's the only way. But we're not rude. Love demands the truth. I'm going to lie to you if I say fire doesn't burn. Put your hand in fire. That's not love. Well, I know you want fire not to burn, so I'm, who am I to judge? Go ahead and put your hand in fire. That's not love. I mean, I don't have to be rude about it. I don't have to have the church of Turner Burn and all the rest of you are stupid. That'd be a big name for a church. But I don't, it's not love to change the message. The message is our God does love. Look what Jesus said himself. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He's not bad news, he's good news. But in order that the world might be saved through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Awesome. I'm not bringing you a lack of love by telling you Oprah's off base. Whoever does not believe is condemned. You don't, you're not condemned for not believing in Jesus. You're not going to hell for not believing in Jesus. You're condemned because you're a sinner. If you never hear of Jesus, God righteously will send you to hell where you belong. I was condemned. Not because I didn't believe in Jesus. I was just condemned because I'm a sinner. And then the gospel came saying you could get rid of your condemnation. How? Through the only way Jesus Christ who died for you. I believed it. My sins were taken away. I'm not condemned. Because I'm a good person? No, because Jesus said any who believes in him in the name of the only son. Look, unlike every false god in the world that wants you to serve them, your God came to serve you. People say Christianity is like the other religions. Not, it's really not. It's really not. All the others lay heavy burdens on your shoulders that you will do, and hopefully you'll please the afterlife. He's the only one who goes the other way. He comes and washes your feet, takes your sin, and says it's free. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you lost today? In other words, do you, are you not a Christian and you're here? It happens all the time. You might think, what? How did you know I got in here? We always have a lot of people who come who don't know Christ. What should you do? You should believe in the name of the only begotten son. It's time to lay down your falsehood, whatever you've trusted in, and ask Christ to come into your life. And he will. But to the church, I gotta just say two things. One, are there other gods that you're hanging on to? Do you secretly... Say, well, maybe there are other ways to God. Because you don't want to sell out your people, your friends at work. <laughs> or maybe you, you go to see the psychic. Because doggone it, it's always fun when we go to the fortune tellers. Or you mess with tarot cards. Or you're really into your horoscope. Listen, I don't give one flying pancake about your sign. I don't care what one psychic ever told you. I don't even care what your fortune cookie says, although they're fun. (laughs) Any source of spiritual enlightenment or help that comes from anyone but Jesus Christ is of Satan. Are you playing with them? Are they in your house? Get them out. And secondly, will you declare this simple message to the people? This is a portable faith. You're the carrier. The message is simple. It really is. Don't be intimidated. I was talking with a brother from the church Thursday night who has just made up his mind. He went to the men's retreat and he made up his mind, I got to talk to the people at my job. And he's the boss. So he calls them all together and, and he shares a gospel message with them. Now, he was certain that he would die if he ever shared the gospel with somebody. He'd choke to death, they'd kill him, they'd jump on him. You know that fear that overtakes you when it's time to share the gospel? Comes out of nowhere? Guess what? He didn't die. He's still here. Not only that, he had the shocking revelation that these people all said, wow, that's really interesting, and they wouldn't stop talking about it. 
until he had to stop them from talking about it because they're wasting his money because he pays them. <laughs> they want to know more. The message is not hard. Don't worry about having all the answers. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you are ready to share the gospel. Very simple. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. And he paid the ransom. That's it. You are the carrier. I want to ask you right now, will you commit to carrying that to someone? And I mean this. Will you do it? Because what good is hearing a message if you do not do it? You're just building your house on something that's going to collapse. So you hear these messages. You might think, well, I hear these messages. Now I'm supposed to feel guilty about not doing that. Go out and forget about it. Well, that'd be a foolish response to hearing this. A wise response, the one who puts his house on the rock, is to say, okay, God, this is exciting. Who are you going to send me this week so I can tell them there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who died as a ransom? Very simple. And invite him to my church. I'm asking you to commit. Yes, I'm asking you. You're like, he's not talking to me, he's talking to the crowd. No, I'm talking to you. Do you believe in a supernatural God or is that just a bunch of crap that you say? Well, isn't he capable? Or have you so long ago given up on telling people? Let the young people tell. Let the old people tell. Let the people who are good at talking tell. Let the students tell. Have you forgotten? When's the last time someone came to the church because you shared the gospel, they thought it was a good idea, and you told them where to come to worship God? Why not you? This is really easy. It's really easy. I don't, can't guarantee the results. It's up to the Holy Spirit. But I know this. You'll get zero results if you do nothing. And that's what Satan wants. But it's easy. Will you commit today? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.